I had a whole show open ready. And then I got a text this morning saying, expect changes in Philadelphia. And if you haven't heard already, Chuck Fletcher is out as general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers and Daniel Briere steps in as the interim general manager. Now, Daniel Briere has been part of this organization for a bit. So when Comcast bought the main Mariners and ECHL team, Daniel Briere was running them and slowly but surely moved his way up to the front office and then was special assistant to the general manager. And, and I, I believe that there was a thought out there that Daniel Breer was eventually going to be the general manager of this Philadelphia Flyers team. And all of that is fine. Daniel Breer is very well thought of in the organization, of course, a uh, former flyer himself. Um, there's a trend here. So when, when one or two GMs get jobs and they were former players with that organization, it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but it's certainly not a trend. But when the third gets it, it's a trend. Three of the last four general managers of the Philadelphia Flyers have been, you guessed it, former Philadelphia Flyers. They are Bobby Clark. They are Paul Holmgren. They are Ron Hextall. And now Daniel Breer, the interim general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, here's what I wonder about where this thing goes. I think that Daniel Breer is going to end up being the full-time GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I don't, I mean, we'll talk to Elliot Freeman about it in a couple minutes, but this, if there was ever a slam dunk, this kind of feels like it's it. And so the question I have is how much autonomy did Chuck Fletcher actually have with this group? How much did, you know, former, former players, you know, alumni that still are around the team, how much say did they have? And will it be different for Daniel Breer because he's a former flyer? Daniel Briere was a good flyer. He's a very good flyer. And now it does feel like he kind of walks into this job. And I'm curious to see how he is handled by former, uh, former players, former managers, whatever the case may be. The Philadelphia Flyers organization is one that we don't see a lot of in pro sports. It's a lot of recycled former players as coaches, as GMs, as front office staff. And and maybe this is just me from the periphery looking at it, but it does feel like they are one of the very few organizations in all of pro sports that operates that way. You know, the flyer way. We want to go back to the flyer way. That's why they brought in John Tortorella. And he doesn't have the, the players to play like that, but that's kind of where they would like to head. I'm very curious to see where this goes. Now, on Chuck Fletcher, here's my question. Because you know that the people that made the call on Chuck Fletcher will say, no, it wasn't because of what he did, you know, at the trade deadline. It'll be, you know, a, a whole host of things that, that were the reasons why Chuck Fletcher got fired. But let's be honest. Chuck, if that was the case, then why did you let Chuck Fletcher handle your trade deadline? If that's how you felt and you were going to fire him that quickly after the trade deadline where the Flyers literally did nothing, then you have to look internally at your decision-making process. If Chuck Fletcher was not going to be the guy, then you should have handed Daniel Briere this job a month ago. Let him handle the deadline. Let him make the moves. Let him get his feet wet as the interim guy because... We all believe, or at least most of us believe, that he's going to be the next general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. He certainly fits that mold. 
And so there's a lot of work that's going to be done. We had the, you know, we had Charlie O'Connor on the show earlier this week and, and Jeff talked about like, who's going to be making these decisions in the off season. Well, I think we have our answer. I think it's going to be Daniel Briere and there's some work ahead of him here. What do you do with a guy like Ivan Provorov? What do you do with Kevin Hayes? What, what happens with a guy like Travis Sanheim? I don't think they're going to move him, but we've seen crazier things. And how much influence does not only the coach have on this roster going forward? Because uh, last time I checked, he's got to deal with these players on a day-to-day basis. But how much influence is going to be from the periphery, from the outer level, from guys like Bobby Clark, from guys like Paul Holmgren, people that have been around the team before. Hey, Ron Hextall may be looking for a job too after this season. Who knows? But the question becomes, is this going to be Daniel Breer's team or whoever the next GM is? Is it going to be their team to run? Or is that outer influence still going to be present with the Philadelphia Flyers, which it seems it has been for a very long time? Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. Let's get the program started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Just awaiting to connect with Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. And coming up later on the show, Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports will join us. Talk about the Coyotes, kind of where this thing is headed, what they do with guys like Nick Schmaltz and, and maybe Clayton Keller. And, and there's other there's other moves to be made here. Uh, Arda O'Cal from ESPN and The Drop will join us. The MO is back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and to finish off, Trip Tracy, Hurricanes TV analyst. This show's favorite goalie, Peter Kachetkov gets called up and has, uh, he gets the shutout. Not a lot of work. And it was against the Philadelphia Flyers, of course, uh, a one, nothing shutout victory. And of course, random player of the day. And this one, I really like actually liked uh, getting to know a little bit more about this player and finding out some stuff that I really did not expect. And joining us now on the line, uh busy morning for this guy, Elliot Freeman, hockey night in Canada and 32 thoughts. Uh, Fridge, I know you got I know you got at least a little bit of sleep, but how was that morning for you? Um, well, Merrick wakes up earlier than I do. Uh, he's like a really early riser, and he put out the tweet, you know, first thing I think at 6.30 in the morning that uh, it could be a big uh, big change day in Flyerland, and, and he was right. I mean, the moment I woke up, and I'll confess that was about 8 o'clock, um, you know, I was sending notes and, like there's some days, you know, when you're sending out notes, uh, Matt, and you're not getting any responses, there's there's something going on. And, uh, you know, I, I think this, I, I really believed it after the after the deadline. Like I, I thought there were going to be changes this summer in Philadelphia. And there was some indication earlier in the week that it could be accelerated. You just don't know until it's true. And this morning, I think everybody began to realize that's exactly what was going to happen. So I, I, we'll get to Danny Briere in a second, but just the decision and the timing of it. Like, I know that people in the, in the Flyers organization will say, you know, maybe it wasn't the deadline specifically that didn't. And there's probably a laundry list of things as to reasons why Chuck Fletcher was fired. But if, if the deadline was the sole reason, which I don't think it, I mean, it, it may have been, no, it, 
It was not the sole reason. Okay, so so if that's not the sole reason, then why do you let Chuck Fletcher handle your deadline and not have somebody else do it? Well, a lot of people have kind of asked that question. I think it's a very fair question. Look, I I think that they, I think that everybody knew that there was a very good chance this was going to happen after the year, and I think the Flyers fans' reaction to him at the deadline and. And the, the game against the Rangers where, like I said, it was like Madison Square Garden in there. And the reaction to Chuck on Saturday at the um, event, uh, the fans event, I just think they just said, look, we're going to do this now. Um, you know, if, if you take a look at it, the Flyers really didn't do much at the deadline. So, I, like, I, I, whoa. Sorry, there was something that just happened right in front of me, uh, Matt. Please do tell. A guy made a... Yeah, no, a guy made a really awful lane change and someone had to do some evasive maneuvers in the snow. It was a very impressive driving move, actually. Um, you know, I, I just think, uh, Matt, that I, I don't really think that the Flyers were in much of a position that anything huge was going to happen at the deadline anyway. Like, I understand the question. I just don't know that there was anything he was going to be able to do at the change the franchise one way or the other okay so i guess the next question that i have is with daniel Breer. now he's been in the organization for a bit i think it's close to well i don't know when the comcast takeover of the main mariners was but he's been in the organization for a bit and this is an organization that has had former players as three of the last four general managers now i don't want to say anything is a slam dunk but if it ever felt like there was a slam dunk it does feel like danny Breer in that position and taking away the interim tag. Where? How do you stand well, on that? Well, I, I would I would be very surprised if he didn't get one of these jobs. Uh, I would I, I would you know whether he ends up being the general manager, he ends up being the president of hockey ops. I don't know at this time, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't get one of the two. I think what everybody's kind of wondering about is where's the other job going to go, and also what's going to be the delineation of responsibilities. How are they going to uh, split this? Um, who's going to be responsible for what? <laughs> who's going to have the ultimate say on, on hockey decisions? Like, I think they have to, uh, I, I think they're going to sort this out over time as they go through this process. So, yes, I would be surprised if Briere doesn't get one of them. And I think the interesting question is going to be who is going to be along with them? And do they, they look at the next person and say it's got to be someone with, a bit more experience uh, or someone with like, if you're going to bring in two and also two, like in these hockey ops jobs, like Dan, like Cam Neely and Don Sweeney and things like that. I think you get a lot of situations where someone manages up and someone manages down. And I, and I wonder if that's what's, what this is going to be about. Now, the Flyers themselves, I, I, I made this reference in the open about the Flyers and, and how their alumni seemingly, or at least a certain few, have, you know, influence in the organization that in other organizations, those types of people don't have. And, you know, it was in the past, it was Bobby Clark and it was Paul Holmgren. And you could kind of go down the list there. So I guess my question is, how much of what Chuck Fletcher did was influenced by and we may not even know this answer but how much of it was influenced by those types of people the alumni specifically and does that maybe change with a former flyer at the head 
of the table in a guy like Danny Breer? No, well, first of all, I do think the former alumni there play a, a very significant role. Like, let's not let's not kid ourselves; they absolutely do. Um, uh, but, and I don't know if that will change necessarily because of Briere. If anything, I've wondered if it might change because they're put they're putting a new. And I should double check his name because I've forgotten it like three times today. But there's a new person there running the opera uh, that's going to be running the operations, right? And there's a chance that uh, Dave Scott, uh, who's been the CEO there for a while, uh, could be out after this season, maybe retiring. So I, you know, Dave Scott is someone who <laughs> the alumni have been very close with. I've wondered if he does retire and he is out at the end of this year, <laughs> if the whole. Um, if the whole emphasis or the, or the power base of some of those, um, uh, of some of those alumni go away. I think that's what we're all trying to see here. There's, there's no question to me that they've been thinking about the changes and what they're going to look like for some time. I just don't think we know yet what the full ramifications of those are. Uh, the guy I think you're looking for, is it Daniel J. Hilferty? Is that the, the man? Yeah, that's the guy. Thank okay. you. Yeah, so Hilferty, yeah. Yeah, so he's the CEO yeah. of uh, of Comcast. Ellie Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts joining us on the program. Okay, let's move off the, the flyer page for now. Um, that was actually a really fun night of hockey last night. Four games go into overtime. Uh, there was a brawl between the, the Lightning and the, the Golden Knights, which also had some late game drama. But the one that really stood out to me was I had a whole open written about how great the Boston Bruins were. And then the third period happened and the Edmonton Oilers storm back and win not only the game, but they win it in regulation. That really felt like a playoff type win for the Oilers and one that maybe in years past they would not have, have had, especially considering that Connor McDavid was held off the board last night. Uh, I, uh, I, I agree with you. I think this year, if you if you go and you beat the Bruins in regulation, it's impressive. And I think it's the other thing too is they were down two nothing. And and the weirdest thing about that game to me last night, uh, Marchese, was just the way that, like we haven't seen the Bruins have a night like that this year very often. Where you know the second goal, <laughs> Grizzly falls, and it ends up being in a four on one. Like it's just a fluke play. And then the the game tying goal, the two two goal. They completely get crossed up at their own blue line. They walk themselves into trouble. Like the like they're so tic tac toe and they're so smart that you you're just not used to the Bruins making those kinds of mistakes and beating themselves. Even the winning goal by Nurse was just kind of weird. Like <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was like, how did that get in? And so I think it was not only impressive that the Oilers won the game, but it was also just watching it and how. Like just Boston kind of beat themselves, which doesn't happen. Uh, and Skinner too deserves a lot of credit. That first goal was kind of ugly, and he settled himself down and found a way to win. Um, all of that I thought was was really impressive. Yeah, and the Bruins, the Bruins hadn't lost a game in regulation when they were leading after one period and two periods at home. Like that's how dominant that they've been. Like, and let's add the the part that it's a road game for the Oilers. Um, listen. I, I was a little bit skeptical about the Matthias Ekholm acquisition. And not in that I don't think he's a very good player. I just thought that maybe maybe the guy for the Oilers was was Chikrin, who was maybe a better fit. 
Now, he may end up have been the better fit, but Matias Ekholm has been really good. And I know that Tyson Berry was a popular guy in that room, but Matias Ekholm has really been the perfect fit for that Oilers blue line, hasn't he? Uh, I, you think that you think that Chikrin would have been a better fit for Edmonton than Ekholm? I do, because I think he gives you... A, like, he's not as nasty as Ekholm, but I think he gives you... He's a better puck mover. And what have we always heard? The... the Leon and Connor want the puck and what better thing to have than a puck moving defenseman, which is maybe why they weren't, you know, they didn't weren't totally on board with moving a guy like Tyson Berry. But I just think overall, I think Chikrin is just the better player and will be the better player going forward. But Matias Ekholm is a great fit right now. Uh, I think Ekholm is, uh, I, I think Ekholm it was the perfect fit for them. I, I really do. I think you know what, Marchese. Like I, I think, I, I think Ekholm is underrated as a puck mover and a puck player, and uh, um, I, I really do. And I know the analytics for him this year haven't been as good because Nashville had a rough season. But in the past years, like if you take a look at people who win battles or go back and get pucks and get them out, he's very good at it. Like he's an underrated, like he's a really good skater and he's a really good puck mover. He doesn't get a lot of points, but he's very good at getting at least your offense started from deep in your end. And um, I think he's the perfect person for Bouchard to play with. Um, I'm a big Ekholm guy. I, you know, I think ultimately the Oilers chose Ekholm over Chikrin uh, because of his health. Um, you know, I've talked about this a lot this week that, you know, I've talked to Ken Holland in the past about, you know, when, when you're acquiring core players or you're giving out long-term contracts, anybody can get injured at any time. It's a contact sport. I mean, <laughs> look what happened with Kaprizov the other night. Um, but um, I, I think that you have to base some importance on does a player have an injury history or not. And I think Ekholm's missed like 20 games in nine years. And I think that's why he was the guy they went out and got. And I also think he's a better puck mover than he gets credit for. Totally. And the other thing so that basically I... what, what I'm saying, Marquez, is your hypothesis stinks. Unsurprising that that's what you think. I, the, <laughs> the, the other thing that I, that I really like about Ekholm is he's underrated tough too. Like, I don't mean that he's going to go out and yes. fight guys, but he's nasty to play against. And I, I've heard from a couple of players about how, how he is to, to go up against. And, and they, they all say the same thing, like underrated tough at, at how hard he is to play against. Um, the other, I game, agree with you. the other game that was of uh, intrigue for me last night was watching that penguins and Islanders game. And, Ilya Sorokin was great in the overtime, made a couple of big saves. And then the underrated blocking of the pass from Ricard Raquel behind the net, which leads somehow to a Brock Nelson breakaway in the overtime winner. You know, Jeff had this conversation with Thomas Hickey yesterday about the Islanders. And I'm sure he said it to you because we know how Jeff likes to espouse his, his opinions on people. Um, but the Islanders do feel like a team that if they can get in because of the way their team is built, and because of the goaltending that they have, that they could be sneaky good in the playoffs. The question is, can they get there? Uh, well, like, all you can do is just take care of your business, right? Um, uh, and, like, the amazing thing for me with the Islanders is how many times have the Penguins had them, like, down and out this year? Yeah. 
and the Islanders just find a way to win those games. I think that's the third time this year, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's amazing. A, yeah, it's at least two. Because, you know, the Islanders of all those teams, like the Penguins have better math than them, and now the Senators have better math than them, right? And um, the, and so I think that one of the things that I think is really interesting about that is because the Islanders don't have as good math, their margin for error is so much smaller. And how many times this year have as Pittsburgh had them on the ropes and let them off. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. And it's happened at least three times. Pittsburgh, two points behind. Uh, They have three games in hand on the Islanders and the senators are uh, six points behind and they have three games in hand as well. Um, I wanted to, wanted to stick on the Islander page for a second here. So I don't know, and nothing will ever leak out because it's Lou Lamorello, and oh. and when he and we have, when he has information, he doesn't give it up. Um, do we know what Lou's contract situation is, and what do we think about the future of Lou Lamorello as as the the GM and president of hockey ops with the Islanders? Like he's going to be eighty one when the season or around the time the season starts next year, and. Do we think that Lou steps away from this if they don't make the playoffs this year and he just says, you know what, I've, I've had my time and I'm good? Or is Lou Lamorello going to be a GM forever and ever? Amen. I, I think he's going to be a GM. Like, look, like I, I don't expect him to, like, walk away at any time soon. Uh, like, first of all, he doesn't even like talking about other people's contract <laughs> situations. True. What do you think the chances are he's going to talk about his contract situation? Um, now, I do think there, the contract was getting close to expiring, the current one, but I don't know if there's been an extension or anything like that. I just, I just don't know. Um, but, like, do you think that he really wants to go anywhere? Uh, I, don't, I don't think he does. I, I don't think that that's uh, something that he's really interested in. And, I, I, like, I just think that he will stay as long as – he wants to stay. And, you know, the other thing right now, too, uh, Matt, is the Horvat deal looks like it's a, it's a, been a really good deal for them. It's yep. early, but it looks like it's been a huge deal for them, and they're starting to go. And, um, you know, so, like, I, I just I can't imagine what it would take for him to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I've never really kind of thought about it, to be perfectly honest. In the, you know, I just not off topic here, but a Lou Lamarell thing. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but did you ever hear the story about how he was offered a uh, like a guest role in The Sopranos and he declined it because of the the idea of him being in the mafia was not something he wanted associated with his character. Yes, he's <laughs> talked about that before. I believe it's a great story. I, I love that. I, it, as a big well, he like he basically is the mafia <laughs> in hockey. He like, is. That, or, yeah, I mean, like seriously, I, as like that, he is. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Actually, it's my favorite show of all time. Had it, having Lou Lamorello in there would be the absolute uh, icing on the cake. Um, other notes from last night: Dallas puts up a ten spot on the Sabers, and only two players didn't register a point for the Stars: Essa Lindell and Tyler Sagan. So the Stars they had the, their two acquisitions were Evgeny Dodonov and Max Domi. And while I like both of those, especially the Domi acquisition. Do you think that they were trying to do something bigger? Because you've talked about it. Jeff's talked about it. This team is really close. 
Do you think that they tried to make a big splash and just they couldn't make it work? I think they looked at some things, yes. I I believe they were probably in on Bertuzzi. Um, That's a player I think they they definitely had interest in. Um, But so my my short answer is yes. My long answer is I, I think that they were really trying to protect their young assets, their young players, their draft picks, things like that. And that's why you saw the decisions that got made. So do I think they took some swings at things? Yeah, absolutely I do. Do I think they wanted to protect their best assets and that's why they didn't land some of those things like Bertuzzi? Yes, I do, Matt. The stars, that's one thing that I, I don't, I mean, we don't talk about it enough on, on our network here, um, but the stars really have put together a, a, an outstanding organization from top to bottom, not only with their staff, but their players and their draft picks are really, really starting to hit. Like you look at Wyatt Johnson and, and they've got some other guys up and coming. Look at the development of a guy like Miro Heiskanen or, or Jason Robertson, Jake Ottinger. Yes. How how is how is Jim Nil viewed around the league? Because this is really a, an underrated masterclass on how to put together an organization for sus, sustained success. Well, I think I think Jim Nil is a really respected person. Um, um, I, I, like, like people have a lot of really good things to say about him. Um, you know, I, I think not only, uh, professionally, but personally, um, you know, he's, you know, there's been some things he's gone through as a family and he's always held, you know, he's always, uh, handled them with incredible grace. And I, I think people have a great respect for him for that reason. Um, in addition to what he does uh, with his team, you know, a couple of years ago, I believe the the Dallas Stars had some real questions about the way they were making decisions, and I, I think he was a little bit on uncertain grounds. But you know, he but look at the aftermath of the results. Like <clears throat> they're one of the best teams in the league. I feel um, they're they're one of the best teams in the league. And you know what? They've got a lot of talent that is older. Pavelski, uh, obviously being one of those players. Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, they're not like our grandfathers or anything, but they're older players by NHL standards. And now they've got a lot of players who are younger, from Jason Robertson to Rupe Hintz to now the next generation, the Wyatt Johnstons, the Heiskanens, the... Ty Delandrias, Jake Ottinger, like you look at them and their top players are different ages and they've got more coming. So I think Neil faced some internal questions about the way things were going and he answered them. I, uh, I think he's done an incredible job there. I, I really do. And, you know, the other thing is they, they seem to be pretty stable. They have their challenges like every other organization does. But I, they seem very stable as a group. Uh, when you talk about Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan being older players, it makes me feel really old, so I can't imagine how you feel about that. You know what? Like, it, it's, it's wild now. Like, people say to me now, like, Cody Glass, like, I grew up watching you. It's depressing. <laughs> it really is. Elliot, I grew up watching you, too. There you go. Make you feel that's so much really better. That's really depressing. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm, incredibly depressing. I'm 34, so so that should make you feel uh, quite oh old. Oh, my God. Um, 
Okay, another player I wanted to get to, Jared McCann. So he scores two last night against the Senators, albeit in a losing effort yeah. by the Kraken. And, you know, I look back on that expansion draft and the Leafs acquired him from the Penguins because they, they wanted to bring in another player so that they could protect another asset and all this other stuff. And I can't, I can't help but wonder what the Leafs' top six would look like with Jared McCann playing left wing with John Tavares and Mitch Marner and Alex Kerfoot being a member of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, I I have to tell you that uh, I, I think there's probably other people who wonder too. You know, McCann deserves a lot of credit. Like before he was 25 years old, he played on what four teams? Yeah. Like that's usually a sign that you're going to be a flame out, right? That you're not going to be a successful uh, prospect. And it's all the credit in the world to him because he's turned that narrative on its ear. And he's, as you said, he's he's got he. Um, he, he's a 20-goal scorer. He's got a long-term extension there. He's one of their best offensive players. I mean, that was a that was a hell of a game last night, and that was a huge win for the Sanders. Like, just just massive win for them. And um, uh, but um, McCann has been, uh, you know, like I know there there are people who watch McCann. They're like, oh, I'd love to have seen him in a Leaf jersey. So you're not the only person who thinks about that. Yeah, he's going to hit the 40-goal plateau this year, I'm pretty sure. He's got 33 in 62 games. So I'm pretty sure he's going to hit 40. And, yeah, that would look uh, really good. A quick one before we let you go. You know what? Just because you said that, he's going to go in an 18-game slump. My fantasy fantasy team's holding on. you in anger. Yeah, my fantasy team's holding on. He's not listening to me. I can guarantee you that. He maybe he listens to Jeff on this show. I'm not sure that he listens to me. But hey, I would be I would be surprised. No, nobody nobody listens to Jeff. Please. Jared McCann, if you're listening, you can send me a DM. You've been fantastic for my fantasy hockey teams. Appreciate it. Uh, quick one before we let you go. Um, from your 32 thoughts article, um, talked about the idea of making three team deals easier. How the heck can they make three team deals easier, especially with the cap? the way it is like could we see some flexibility you know we talked about the idea of maybe raising the cap next year or the year after to provide some flexibility which is fine but how do you make that happen with three team deals how do you make those easier well fine after i wrote that somebody called me and said if they really wanted to make it easier they could say a team could hold 75 percent of salary sure the arizona That's coyotes would be so happy about that <laughs> Well, I mean, that's one way you could do it. Absolutely. Did, and, and was that because this season they we just saw more three-team deals than we have in the past because of the salary cap? Or is this something that may have been on the front burner for or back burner, as it was, uh, over the last couple of years? I think it's more on the front burner because I, I just heard that there were a couple of calls this year that were really tough. And, and one of the big challenges, uh, one of the big challenges, Matt, is that for a three-team deal, it's like it's like two or three different phone calls, right? Mm-hmm. Like three different phone calls. So if you know, for example, say the league approves two of the the first two moves, and the third team, the third call, the team comes on, they said, no, 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 no. that's that's not what we agreed to, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, we already approved the previous end, so don't come. We're not going backwards. Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the issues. Well, I guess we'll see where this one goes. I love the idea of three-team deals. That may, that shows me who the smart GMs are around there, the ones that create the cap space to get uh, draft picks for free like Minnesota and still maintain spots in the playoff race. Uh, Elliot, you spent a lot of time with me today. Thank you very much, and we will chat with you on Monday.
Have a good weekend, Marchese. You too. There he goes. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts.